Hey friends at Peachtree Church, my name is Eugene Cho. I'm a pastor based in Seattle, Washington, and it is a joy and a pleasure to be able to join you in Atlanta, Georgia. I have been practicing my Southern drawl, but I'm too embarrassed to use it in front of the camera. I'm uh, good friends with your pastor, Pastor Rich, and hopefully someday in the future, I'll get a chance to visit you in person. I'm so delighted to be able to join as one of your summer guest speakers. And with that in mind, I would love to encourage you at this time, wherever you might be watching from, to open up the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures, to the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. Now, friends, listen for the Word of God. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Say a word of prayer with me. God, thank you again so much for the privilege that it is for us to open up your word, to study your word. We ask for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to be with us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. This story is often referred to as Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000. Now, there's many aspects of the story that I love, but for the sake of time, I want to share with you four big points from this particular story that I hope would encourage you, particularly as we focus around the issue of food, of hunger, of compassion, and of justice. The first point that I want to make from this passage here is that Jesus had compassion. In fact, in another version of this story from Mark chapter 6, it specifically said prior to Jesus asking the question, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? It specifically states that Jesus saw the crowd and he had compassion on them. And I want you to realize that Jesus cares not just about one particular aspect of you, me, or others, but he cares about our whole lives. Some of us grew up in the church and we heard this particular verse from Matthew 4.4 where it says, Man does not live by bread alone. And how true that is, that when we see one another, we're not just our clothing, our objects, our possessions, or our bodies, but we're also spiritual beings. 
And it's a reminder to us that every single human being needs to be reconciled to God our Father through Jesus the Christ. However, in addition to that truth, we need to be reminded that Jesus, yes, cares about our spiritual beings, but he cares about all of our lives, including our bodies. So I find it to be very interesting and important that as the crowds of people come toward Jesus to listen, to be nourished by his words and his teachings, that while we can affirm the importance of God's word and God's teachings, God's truth, even Jesus had compassion on them and was concerned about the fact that many, if not all, were hungry. I think Martin Luther King Jr., Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he has some words of wisdom here that speaks to what the gospel needs to be in our world today. In one of his sermons, Dr. King had these words, a religion true to its nature must also be concerned about men's social conditions. Any religion that professes to be concerned with the souls of men and is not concerned with the slums that damn them, the economic conditions that strangle them, and the social conditions that cripple them is a dry-as-dust religion. This is the reason why for us as followers of Jesus, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, they're not competing truths. There are two aspects of what we believe to be the beauty and power of the whole gospel. So as we teach and evangelize and share good news that Jesus is Lord and Savior, may we also have compassion on those who are suffering, who are marginalized, who are oppressed, who are hungry, and who are thirsty. And one of the best ways, the most significant ways that we can foster a culture of compassion in our lives is to be reminded that every single human being bears the image of God. It doesn't matter who they are. It does not matter who they are. Every single human being bears the image of God. Jesus performs amazing miracles throughout the Gospels. We could have sermon after sermon just detailing all of the miracles of Jesus. But when I read the Gospels, the part of Jesus that most fascinates me and compels me is that no matter how busy, hurried, pursued as he was, Jesus always stopped and looked at people in the eyes. You see, when you look at people in the eyes, what you're saying is literally, I see you. This is the reason why when you want to ignore someone, you look away. This is the reason why when you're on a public bus or the subway and you want to ignore other people, we simply stare into our smartphones. This is the reason why when the pastor says, who here wants to volunteer to clean the basement of the church, sometimes we're just tempted to look away, hoping others might step up. In my own family, after an amazing, delicious Korean dinner, my wife and I will ask our three kids, 
who here wants to do the dishes? And they all look away as if we can no longer see them. We still see you. Jesus sees every single one of us because each of us bears the image of God. And so Jesus looked out into this crowd and yes, it mattered what he was teaching, but it's also important for us to note that Jesus had compassion on people. May your church, Petrie, grow in its compassion for your neighborhood, for your city, for the nations, for the larger world. The second thing that we can learn from this story, it's very important, is that this story, when you add the number of people that were recorded to have been present at the story, they only tended at that time to record men. This is the reason why it was the feeding of the 5,000 men. In fact, scholars tell us that if you were to have counted women and children, most likely, and this is all speculation, we don't know for sure, but most likely there would have been anywhere from 10 to 12,000 people. Now the point is not so much to argue about the number of people, that were present in the story, but to simply make the case that during the time of Jesus, women and children were considered secondary or second-class citizens. And in the kingdom of God, and we see this again and again, how Jesus, his inclination, the kingdom of God, yes, Jesus cares about all people, but you know that he has an inclination towards those who've been forgotten and marginalized, oppressed, those who are poor, those who are hungry and thirsty, those that have been simply looked upon or looked away from. And this gives us a glimpse of the kingdom of God. You see, part of the kingdom is that Jesus cares about justice. And justice is not a secondary issue. It's not a tertiary issue. It's not a clothing accessory that we wear on or off when it's in season or off season, but justice reflects the character of God. Isaiah 61.8 simply says, I, the Lord, love justice. This is why that when we survey the world and even in our country, we begin to realize that those who are particularly vulnerable, God cares about all people, but those who are particularly vulnerable oftentimes tend to be women and children. Did you know, for example, that in our world today, approximately a billion people, a billion people experience hunger in our world. And of that, there is a higher number of children and a higher number of women who experience hunger. Did you know that in our great nation, that even in the richest nation in the world, we're told that one in seven people in the United States experience and face hunger every single day. Of that, one in approximately five children in our country experience hunger. And the list goes on and on. 
Did you know that in our world today, with all the excess that we have, approximately 14 to 15,000 children under the age of five die every single day. May these things break our hearts. May our hearts break for the things that break God's heart. And during the season of a global health pandemic, during this COVID-19 pandemic, Many of us, if not all of us, have seen these searing images of lines of cars miles at a time waiting for just one or two bags of food. This issue is not just an over there issue. It's happening in our neighborhoods and in our streets. And may our hearts break for the things that break God's heart. But it's not just an issue here, we're realizing that this pandemic is particularly, dramatically impact the global community, especially those who are already living in very fragile, vulnerable contexts. In fact, the World Food Program recently came out and shared with the global leaders and community that because of COVID-19, by the end of this year, unless we all gather together to help that those who experience acute hunger would double by the end of this year from 135 to 265 million people. May our hearts break for the things that break God's heart. So I'm grateful that in God's kingdom, he looks at every single one of us as valued, as important, as seen. And yet in that, he reminds us that those who are particularly marginalized or forgotten, God seeks after them. The third thing that we can look or to learn from the story is to be reminded that with God, the impossible is possible. Let me say that again. With God, the impossible is possible. Now, this story begins, yes, with Jesus's compassion, but it continues when he asks the question, where shall we get food for these people to eat? Now, here's a side note about Jesus. Anytime Jesus asks a question, it's not for his own benefit. This is really important. Jesus asks questions not because he doesn't know the answer. He's God. He asks questions because it's a moment of formation and learning in our discipleship. So in that same way, he asks this question because he wants the disciples and those who are present to learn that in God's kingdom, we exist not out of lack, but out of generosity and excess. It's not a culture of scarcity. And sometimes it feels like the world that we live in is all about scarcity. Remember the first few weeks of COVID-19 and you went to the supermarket and every single toilet paper was off the shelf. What is that? It's not just greed, it's a frenzy of scarcity. 
in God's kingdom, God's kingdom operates not out of scarcity, but out of goodness and kindness and generosity. In God's kingdom, it's about abundance. So Jesus asks the question, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And notice how the disciples respond to that question. Very instantly, Philip answered him almost with incredulity. It would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Now, I, I think Philip was almost sarcastic. He may have been rolling his eyes when he said, are you crazy? What a ridiculous question. That's insane. That's stupid. It would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each person to have just one bite. In other words, let me translate this in modern English. It's impossible. This is insane. It's stupid. This is not doable. And yet this is another story. Again, to remind us that what is impossible with us as people is possible with God. And as the people of God, we have to get into this mind frame not to be dominated by the small t truths of our larger world and culture, but to look to the Word of God, to look to Jesus, to look to the kingdom of God for our inspiration, for our formation, for our identity. That's the third thing. The fourth reminder in this story is that this miracle, yes, obviously, is possible because of Jesus. And with Christ, all things are possible, Philippians 4.13. But the way that Jesus works, the way that God works in our world, God doesn't work in isolation. He chooses to invite through the guidance and presence of the Holy Spirit. He chooses to invite us to participate in the kingdom of God. This is the reason why as you're watching this sermon right now, every one of us, if you're listening to my voice, God is wanting to use you. He wants to invite you to participate in the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean that we have to change the world. It means that we're called to be faithful in the here and now, whatever is in your context and surroundings. To bless your church, to bless your family, to bless your neighbors, to bless your neighborhood, to bless your city. And as God gives us opportunities to simply do our part to be a light and salt to the larger world. Now, listen, when Jesus asks the question, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? This might seem hard to believe, but having visited the Holy Lands several times, and specifically this particular region where it's known that the feeding of the multitudes took place, there's an amazing acoustic in this particular countryside where I had visited to learn more about the teachings of Jesus. And I recall a moment where I had a chance to speak during this country and your voice just carries. It carries to the point 
that when scholars tell us that when Jesus asked the question, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? I believe it. I truly believe that every single person, they were able to hear the question that Jesus asked. Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, let me just take you back during the cultural context of the time of Jesus. You and I living here in the United States, me in Seattle, you in Atlanta, there are grocery stores everywhere. I live in a neighborhood called Ballard and within a mile, two mile distance of where I live, we have, uh, let's see, there's a Safeway. I'm not sure if you know what that is. There's a Whole Foods. There's a Trader Joe's. There's a Fred Myers. There's a 7-Eleven. There's a local Ballard Market. There's a local PCC Market. Now, again, I suspect that you have no idea what these stores are. They're just big stores all within walking distance of our home. My point is this. While grocery stores and food is readily accessible no matter where we go, including just the opportunity to click a button on our phones to have food delivered to us during the time of Jesus, when you set out on a particular day, you had no idea what that day would bring forth into your life. And there weren't grocery stores at every single corner. And so it was known that when you set forth on that day, many people had a small bag of food that they carried and oftentimes hid underneath their outer layer of clothing. So I want you to imagine that in this crowd of 10 to 12,000 people, I'm not suggesting that every single person had food, but I believe that many people had food right by their side. And so when Jesus asks the question, where shall we buy food for these people to eat? My imagination, while not recorded here in scripture, is that this young boy who hears this story in his faith, in his beautiful, innocent faith, hears this question and he somehow emerges from the crowd. Now, I rather believe in that story than the disciples strong-arming this little boy and saying, give me your food or else we're going to get you. No, there's no force or violence going on here. This young boy hears the question and he comes forward looking to Jesus, maybe saying, Jesus, I really like you. I really like what you're talking about. I like what you're teaching and sharing. I like what you're talking about, the kingdom of God, about even loving our enemies. And I can just imagine this young boy opening his outer layer, looking to the side, taking out his small pouch of food, looking to Jesus and saying, Jesus, this isn't much. I have five pieces of bread and two pieces of fish. My supper is your supper. 
In fact, when we study the Greek word that's used for bread in this particular story, it's a specific bread made of something called krithinos. And krithinos was bread that was specifically made for those who were considered poor people. I want you to understand how crazy this story is. One of Jesus' most astounding, beautiful miracles takes place because a young, poor boy chooses to emerge from the crowd, listening to the question of Jesus, to say, the little that I have, my supper is your supper. That's the reason why, friends, that anytime we hear the good news, we praise God for the good news that it is for us. We thank God for His mercy, for His love and His grace. And then we have to ask the question, how then shall I respond? How then shall I live? In closing, I want to speak to you about some ways that we can respond. The first thing that I want to say is, may we continue to pray and have compassion. Don't look away from suffering. Don't look away from pain. Don't look away or ignore neighbors or those who might not look like you, think like you, feel like you. I'm going to go here right now. Even those who might not vote like you. Pray and especially pray that Jesus would give us compassion for people, that our hearts would have joy for the things that give God joy, but our hearts would also break for the things that break God's heart. The second thing that we can do is to act, to do something. Now, I love the fact that at your church, you have a program, an ongoing program, that you're collecting food and resources for those who are hungry and needy. And I pray that that's not something that a small percentage of people at your church do, but it is something that your whole church can get behind. Support your church. Give generously to your church. Give to your local food banks. Give to programs that specifically care about feeding those who are hungry. You see, it's way too tempting for us as Christians to love the idea of generosity, to love the idea of compassion, to love the idea of justice, and not actually do the very things that Jesus is calling us to do. I'm going to ask you a very, very, what might seem like an abrasive question, but I think it's the question that we as Christians in America should be asking ourselves every single day. And here it is. Are we more in love with the idea of following Jesus than actually following Jesus? You see, when we listen and we don't act, James in the New Testament tells us, faith without action, faith without works is dead. Here's the third thing 
that I want to encourage you to do. As we pray, as we act locally, I also want you to realize that we have a voice. And we have a voice and we can use our voice to amplify injustice, amplify suffering, amplify pain, amplify barriers that might exist in our city or our nation or around the world that impede compassion and justice taking place. Some of you, probably most of you will not know this, but starting in July of just recently, I began my new ministry and leadership as president and CEO of a Christian advocacy organization called Bread for the World based in DC. We're a Christian ministry that seeks to urge our local and nation's lawmakers to pass just laws and policies to end hunger in our nation and around the world. So in addition to prayer, in addition to things that we can do in our local sphere of influence, we're also trying to implement just laws and policies in our nation and around the world so that those who are thirsty might receive water. Those who are hungry might receive food and important nutrition. Our voices matter. And so I want to encourage you, for us at Bread for the World, a nonpartisan Christian organization, we're seeking to work with leaders across the aisle, but particularly partnering with churches and Christians to pull our voices together, to call our leaders, to write letters, to advocate so that we can make sure that the causes and issues and the injustices around those who are particularly thirsty and hungry in our nation and around the world, that we can dignify them, we can come alongside them, and we can help elevate them. Why? Because every single human being matters to God. I hope that if you've never heard of Bread for the World, you would take a moment to visit us at bread.org or you can learn how you can partner with me at bread.org slash Eugene. Thank you so much for your ministry. Thank you so much for your compassion and thank you for the ways that you act out, embody, live out your faith in your church, in your city, Atlanta, in our nation and around the world. God bless you.